Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And we're continuing our deep dives into George A. Romero's Dead series. That's right, we can see the very dim light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) But of course that means we are now talking about Diary of the Dead. Do we have to? (laughs) I think we must. That's right, we are completionists. That's right, we're committed. And masochists. And should be committed. (laughs) (laughs) But there's there's a healthy band of fans. Uh, not only for, of course, Romero, which there are many, many legions, yeah, of which I'm, we would both count ourselves. Yeah, I'm certainly one for sure. But of this particular movie, um, it to be seen. I mean, judging by the amount of comments we've gotten <laughs> from last week's deep dive, Land of the Dead, I'm guessing no. Probably not, but <clears throat> we're going to talk about it anyway. Yep. Well, Diary of the Dead is a 2007 American found footage horror film written and directed by Jorge Romero himself, and is the fifth installment of his Of the Dead series. The film focuses on a group of college students attempting to navigate their way through the early days of the zombie apocalypse and document their journey as it unfolds, meaning that the events of this movie are happening concurrently to those in the Night of the Living Dead, the original film. The film stars Michelle Morgan, Joshua Close, Sean Roberts, Amy Lalonde, and Scott Wentworth. While Romero returned to his independent roots for this installment, the film was theatrically released by the Weinstein Company. Yeah. (laughs) Romero wanted to make a smaller film after Land of the Dead because he felt that this would help further the ideas of emerging media he wanted to express. Okay, listeners. If it didn't happen on camera, it's like it didn't happen, right? This is Diary of the Dead. So sad that that's like the best quote in this movie. (laughs) Oh, I've got some doozies going up. (laughs) Great. Hi, my name is Jason Creed. I have been given the opportunity to be able to document the events that have suddenly landed in my lap. Jason always wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. Come on, everybody, when it comes to you, say your name. This is ridiculous. Hey, I'm just trying to make a movie here. That's what he was shooting on that first night. The night when everything changed. None of us know exactly what has caused the chaos. Most people have fled for their lives. Some sort of Armageddon. Two news agencies are reporting accounts of the dead returning to life. Jay, I want to get out of here. I want to go home. Are you still shooting? What are you shooting? I don't know. I just... If this turns out to be a big thing, I just want to record it, okay? Yeah, there's an army of them. From now on, everyone who dies is gonna come back. I think it's time we left this place. There's nobody in here, I don't see anything. There is a dead guy walking around, let's go. Shoot in the head! Hey, run, run, Tracy! All that's left is to record what's happening for whoever remains when it's over. George A. Romero's Diary of the Dead. If it's not on camera, it's like it never happened, right?
Unaired footage from an impatient local news reporter is uploaded to the internet. The footage is of a report of a murder-suicide of an immigrant family. As the deceased are being loaded into an ambulance, the cameraman notices the dead people are starting to move. They attack those at the scene, leaving the bitchy reporter bitten. <laughs> Meanwhile, a group of college kids are making a student horror film involving a mummy in the middle of the woods near Pittsburgh. Because why not? On a break from filming, the group hears a news report of mass murders and rioting, and that the dead are returning to life. Two of the students, Ridley and Francine, leave for Ridley's wealthy family's compound. The others refuse the invitation of safety so they can investigate the zombie apocalypse on their own terms. They, including director Jason, played by Joshua Close, his rival film student Tony, played by Sean Roberts, actress Tracy, played by Amy Lalonde, their advisor Maxwell, Scott Wentworth, and random dude named Elliot all head back to the university to get Deborah, Michelle Morgan, Jason's girlfriend, and the film's oddly boring narrator. When Deborah can't reach her family over the phone, the group decides to head to Scranton to investigate. Mary, a fellow film student, drives, and Gordo, Tracy's boyfriend, accompanies them. Jason keeps his camera rolling the entire time in an attempt to create a documentary about the crisis to upload to MySpace. En route, Mary is shaken when she must run over three zombies and a zombie state trooper. They pull over so she can take a minute. But just a minute. Because she almost immediately attempts suicide. The group take her to a deserted hospital for help, but only find zombies. Mary succumbs to her gaping gunshot wound and becomes a zombie, but is slain by Maxwell. Gordo is later bitten, but Tracy begs the others to spare him when they try to mercy kill him. After taking a minute, but just a minute, she has to kill him herself anyway. <laughs> Back on the road, the group's RV is stranded when the fuel line breaks, but Tracy knows how to fix it, because of course she does. They stop at a farm owned by a deaf Amish man named Samuel. During the repairs, the group is attacked by zombies, and Samuel is bitten, but he kills both himself and his attacker with a scythe through the forehead. What a bro. The RV is repaired just in time, and they once again head for Scranton. While passing through a city, they are stopped by a large group of survivors. These armed men lead them into their shelter, a giant warehouse filled with looted supplies and gas, which they reluctantly share after Tony kills an invasive zombie with a random jar of hydrochloric acid. While at the warehouse, Jason uploads part of his documentary to MySpace and gets lots of hits. They learn that the only reliable source of information is the internet even though they are ironically aware of the concept of fake news in 2007. At Deborah's house, they find her reanimated mother and brother feasting on her father. The two zombies are quickly dispatched by advisor Maxwell, apparently now an arrow-sniping archer, and the group decides to turn back around to seek shelter at Ridley's massive compound after all. When they arrive, things look amiss, and Ridley is acting strangely. Ridley eventually tells Deborah and Tony that his parents, the staff, and Francine have all died, and he buried them out back by dumping their bodies into the swimming pool. Ridley leaves the two and heads for the house, where he dies. As it turns out, he was bitten by a zombie before their arrival. He reanimates and kills that random dude, Elliot, while he's in the bathtub. He attacks Jason and Tracy, who is pissed when Jason will not put down his camera to defend her. She abandons the group in the RV. Jason is attacked and bitten by Ridley, who is then killed by Maxwell. Jason pleads with Deborah to shoot him, and she complies. Zombies begin to attack the mansion en masse, 
forcing the survivors to hide in the panic room. There, Deborah watches footage of two hicks shooting zombies for target practice and wonders if the human race is worth saving. Probably not. The fucking end. (laughs) I feel like our synopsis is way more exciting than the movie. My God, was that a ride? In an RV. <laughs> to Scranton. Where I just kept asking, are we there yet? <laughs> and the answer is never. Diary of the Dead was released on February 15th, 2008 on 42 screens. It earned $232,000 opening weekend, claiming the number 32 spot at the box office. Some movies that topped the box office that weekend included Jumper, Step Up to the Streets, and Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus, Best of Both Worlds concert. What a week at the movies. I mean, good times. Good times to be had by none. There were certainly things to see at the movies. <laughs> the widest release the film ever received was on 48 screens. Ultimately, Diary of the Dead would gross $5.3 million worldwide against a budget of $2 million. The film would find a home and a much larger audience by May of 2008 when it was released on DVD. Diary of the Dead holds a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, somehow, with an audience score of just 41%, somehow. The site's consensus reads, As Diary of the Dead proves, time hasn't subdued George A. Romero's affection for mixing politics with gore, nor has it given him cinematic grace for subtlety. (laughs) Aww. Manola Dargis of the New York Times called the film the loosiest, goosiest chapter in Romero's Dead series. And while the film does have some striking filmmaking, ultimately it's just not scary. Nathan Rabin for the AV Club gave the film a C plus, saying that Romero's heavy-handed intellectual concerns get in the way of a perfectly good fright flick. What? Perfectly good. One of them gets in the way of the other. I'm not sure which. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, there's not really any accolades to speak of, but Romero did win the Critics' Choice Award at the Festival International du Film Fantasique de Gardemir. I don't, I can't say any of these words. I don't know what that is. Anyway, yeah. Festival International du Film Fantastique. Fantastique de, de Gardemir. Gardemir. Yeah, <laughs> that one. Whatever that is, <laughs> it's the only one that's listed on IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's not waste any time, shall we? Let's just get into it. Let's not mince words with Diary of the Dead. Yeah. So, I mean, even before releasing Land of the Dead, apparently uh, Romero wanted to do a film about emerging media, as you mentioned before, right? So after releasing Land of the Dead, which we, of course, covered last week, uh, which he felt like was really big in scope, he wanted to go back to make a relatively low-budget film, and he felt like his emerging media idea could easily fulfill it. Which, you know, I, I, I get, you know, and, and one thing I have to hand it to him ever before we really shit on this, or at least I will, <laughs> um, you know, you do have to hand it to him for trying to do new things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if if Romero has an idea of something he wants to say in a film, he's going to he's going to do it. He's going to say it. Right. And at least he's trying new ideas in a political sense or a, like a societal sense. To, to add to his films, right? I feel like, I mean, Land of the Dead sort of hit us over the head with its, like, class system ideas, right? Yeah, but it's like, I, I'm, I'm just zooming out a little bit, and I'm thinking, like, really, every single film that he's done that I've seen has been very different. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
right? Like he has his Romero isms, right? But like Night of the Living Dead is kind of a little bit cinema verite, you know, but it's just kind of like the black and white kind of very close in your in your face kind of horror movie and kind of shocking at the time. And then Dawn of the Dead was really much more of the social commentary, very poignant for that time with consumerism. Dawn of the Dead was like very its own thing kind of involved with itself, I think, and and kind of the question of whether humans need to survive. Mm-hmm at all and, and he, he brings in like the humanism and in, in back into the discussion um and then we get to land of the dead where it's it's more about capitalism and things like that but it's a big budget movie all of a sudden right. and with this one it's his version of a found footage which was kind of all the rage around the late 90s and early thousands and he was kind of on the back end of that but it wasn't even the best found footage film that year wreck came out Oh, Wreck came out that year? Yeah. yeah, I feel like Wreck is a much better movie. I even feel like Cloverfield is a much better movie than this, and I think that came out around the same time as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. And, I mean, like, he's always trying different things. I think that as a director, he is not afraid to to tackle some other kind of filmmaking or style. But, but at the same time, he couldn't really completely – get on board with it. Like he's always going to be Romero. I felt like this was kind of his problem with land of the dead too. Like he wanted to bring this big budget down to his kind of grit level. Yeah. And with this, he kind of did the same thing because he wasn't going to let go of a cinematographer, right? He famously was uh, fairly critical of the Blair Witch Project, which he found, quote unquote, dizzying and uh, also noted that it, quote, didn't make much sense. (laughs) Right. And so he actually had to choreograph this whole thing and edit it as if it was a student film. And he, he does very well at that because it does seem like a very amateur film. Yeah. I mean, I know I get that. I, and I piecing together like a found footage movie. I mean, I, I feel like he did it okay. You know, like we've already said, it's not the best one to even come out around that time. Well, it's but. not even that believable, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> no, I mean, and the Blair Witch Project is dizzying, but I found parts of this movie very dizzying too. I mean, like, I think well, it's just that style of filmmaking. Right? Well, well, no, because it's like I, what I was saying is it does feel like an amateur film, but the entire thing non-diegetically feels like a student film he was going for the feel of a student film within the film Mm -hmm. right but the actual film itself about the student film feels like a student film (laughs) (laughs) no i get it (laughs) yeah so i don't know he said it was it was a lot more difficult to shoot because he did have to like uh quote unquote choreographic down to its shoelaces because he had people, he he literally would hire these actors because they were stage actors, not film actors. Right. Because he needed them to be able to do really long takes without having to cut constantly. And he needed them to be, be able to kind of duck and dodge around the camera because the action's going on 360 degrees mm-hmm. around the camera. And so as he pans, he needs some actors to kind of dip below the lens and, and do different things to like make scenes make more sense and that, that it's not like a setup, you know? So like I, I feel like if you're going to do found footage, you need to commit. Yeah. Right. And and he didn't quite commit. Although now I feel like I give I should give these actors a little bit more props than I was while watching this movie. You know what I mean? At least from like an action standpoint, because I really found like the acting in this movie to be completely subpar. Oh, it's it's horrible, except for even a couple of people. But but the ones that are better are still just given such horrible, trashy lines yeah. that it's hard to forgive them than that either. But of course, they were uh, this whole thing was shot in only like 20 something days. 
Oof. Right. And so the choreography is what I think was chief in their mind is where mm-hmm. am I going to be? Where, where do I need to be ducking or laying on the floor when the camera moves my way? Or where do I have to jump into, you know? And so they're much more worried about the choreography than they are the actual acting. I think, I don't know. That's, that's my interpretation. But I could well, be wrong. And now that you say that though, I mean, I can imagine how hard it would be if you're, if you're filming that quickly and you have to be that active during all these long takes. I mean, like maybe, maybe I shouldn't have been as mean to these people as I was while watching this yeah. movie. So, but this also means like he's, he's a director that's very used to shooting a bunch of angles, which is normal. Right. You know, and then going into the editing room and crafting your film. Mm-hmm. Right. He really storyboarded this and choreographed it. Like he said, down to its shoelaces, whatever that means. Yeah. And then, uh, and then edited basically in camera. Right. And so what you see is basically what they shot. I'm sure they have some extra things, okay. you know, but um, they tried to make it look as organic as possible. But even that was inconsistent, which I'll also get into later. <laughs> I mean, he did add some stuff. I mean, obviously like post filming. So, yeah, but I mean, it just, it, okay. So it shows them actually editing in the movie, right? right? They go to this place and he's like editing it to, to upload to MySpace or whatever. And he's showing what it is, splicing footage from different cameras together. But like in the middle of the movie or like closer to the beginning, like it's actually, even though the beginning of the movie is the clip of the news and the narration of the surviving member of this cast, the the girlfriend of, you know, Deborah, right? the girlfriend of the, the director of this movie, the director of the movie in the movie, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he he edits with like a cut and it's like a blue background of like a digital recorder right and uh-huh. then he, like for a split second and he does that for only about a third of the movie <laughs> and then he kind of abandons that and then like right before the end he does it once more and then that's it so it's like I don't know what he was trying to do he was trying to make it look organic like that but then he does that sometimes and he does it other times you know and I it's just I don't know that he was all there when making this movie really or cared, maybe. I mean, like, he, he had a message he wanted to get across, right? But then, like, you get into the making of the movie, and maybe he just lost interest, like, somewhere in it. I don't know, because you could have fixed that with real-world editing. You That's know what I mean? To make it more consistent with, with how these people are actually editing it on the fly. You know, but maybe that's part of what he thought. Maybe if it's inconsistently edited, it'll seem more amateurish. But that makes the whole film itself look amateurish, not the diegetic film. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, the film and within I do. The film. And I feel like like the movie itself is completely uh, inconsistent. I, I mean, like things change throughout this movie and then go back to what they were like in many, many places. Oh, there's a lot of inconsistencies. Yeah, I, I just feel like I feel like this movie was made maybe too quickly or something. And, and, and well, it's I, experimental and he wasn't used to making a movie like this, but it's like you, you some of those things you could correct, you know, or even yeah. do a reshoot. But I think he doesn't have patience like that. You know, he's not, he's like, oh, this is my experimental film and I'm going to put it out there. You know, I think that's really his kind of shoot from the hip thing. I think he's really a perfectionist or maybe not a perfectionist, but he has a style and his technique. Like he said, he choreographed that much and he planned that much, but after it's all out of the bag, like he, you get what you get with him. I think he's kind of done with it. Yeah. No, I guess that's true. I mean, like, because some of his other movies feel that way as well. You know, like, here's the, here's the product. And I think while Romero makes really, really good movies, I, a lot of times you can go back and say, like, these these are the ways you could have made it better or a more perfect kind of movie. Right. I think I think we'd say that with almost any Romero film. But it almost feels just like the last one that he got caught in, the, in his own, almost like a victim of his own living legacy at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's going to step up and say, hey, Romero, this is the proper way to do this. Or maybe you should do it that way. We see that a lot with some of these like 
later films from George Lucas or even hell Francis Ford fucking Coppola, you mm-hmm. know, when they stop having collaborations and they completely rely on their own writing and their own direction and, and their own money sometimes. Yeah. Then, you know, they're stuck in that bubble. That's right. They're going to make whatever they want to make because they paid for it. They wrote it. They're directing it. I mean, yeah. One of those inconsistencies really bothered me. Like, uh, I think at the end, like that random dude, Elliot, Elliot, where yeah. he gets killed in the bathtub. He's in the bath getting killed. And then he comes out later wearing a bathrobe. Well, I mean, like, really? He was in the bathrobe when he got pulled into the tub. Like, I remember. He oh, was, he was pulled into the tub? Okay. Yeah. So he was drying his hair with the hairdryer. And I was then, like, George, you can show a peen. Come on. <laughs> uh, the zombie Rid- the zombie Ridley, like, pulled him into the bathtub and he was literally electrocuted by the hairdryer, I think is what we're supposed to believe. Yeah. Right. So, but the, the thing is, is that bathrobe looked really dry. It really <laughs> so, did. <I> mean, <laughs> at least put a damp bathrobe on him. Well, speaking of dry, let's talk about some of this acting. <laughs> oh my God. Can we please? <laughs> uh, I think you had a problem with Tracy. Yeah, I do. Um, while I like that character very much, and this is like the blonde actress who's pretty like flippant and outspoken. Don't mess with Texas. Exactly. But that's that's the problem is that like she starts out with this very pronounced Southern accent and then midway through the movie, it's gone completely. Yep. And then at the end of the movie, it's back. And yep. I'm like, I just don't understand. I'm San Antonio. I'm like, oh my God. I wanted to just like crawl into the back of my couch and kill myself <laughs> i mean listeners we're both from texas hopefully we don't sound like that maybe sometimes but God. i mean like we don't like lose accents and pick them back there up. were several characters here that were just parodies of themselves and that's one of them really. Yeah, she really was like the most like parodied kind of character especially because like she had that southern accent mostly when she was referring to being from the south or the south itself other than that she just sounded like a non-accented kind of person and it really fucking bothered me God, with the acting and the editing, it almost felt like to me, like I was watching Thanks Killing, but a version of Thanks Killing that wasn't as funny and was trying too hard. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was. Oh my God. I don't know. Uh, can we talk for a minute about Michelle Morgan, who played Deborah? Oh, sure. The uh, the narrator. The narrator the and slash main character. Yeah. Her narration was like the most dry, like boring narration I've ever experienced on film. Like, yeah. The entire time, she's just so matter-of-fact about it. She's like, my boyfriend's a director, and he made a documentary, and he was going to upload it, but he died, and I'm going to upload it anyway. They anyway, here so it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They could have so easily turned like turned this around and made it into like some really fucking camp shit. I mean, like I, I wanted wish. him, I wanted him to go back and like start it over, like with her, like getting attacked by one of those zombies, and then then freeze frame and be like, "This is me." Do you want to know how I got here? You know, maybe. <laughs> oh my god, that would have been so better if they like dead pulled the shit out of this movie. <laughs> That's narration, damn it, God. <laughs> But she literally says that. She's like, anyway, here it is. The death of death. And I'm like, <laughs> my God, why is they taking it so seriously? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, speaking of which, like my favorite so seriously was the the Maxwell guy. Like the, they had this random like professor, college professor or right. advisor on set, I guess, uh, you know, as I don't know, benefactor or like school, you know, representative or something for their for mm-hmm. their shoot. And he's just like the Van Helsing, like stage guy he's like Romero's pouring everything of himself into this character to be in the movie I guess I don't know he also becomes like Legolas later he becomes like this (laughs) 
professional sniping archer randomly because the gun's too easy to use, you know? Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. Yeah. But man, I've got a list of quotes ready to go, but do you want to talk about some of your favorite moments first? Um, yeah, there's not, there's not a lot really. <laughs> um, I mean, like always, I appreciate a good zombie moment. Oh yeah. And you know, at this point in Romero's career, he's done just about everything. I mean, once you've done a nearly decapitated priest zombie, there's really nowhere to go from there. Yeah. But um, I really enjoyed when that zombie got hit over the head with that random bottle of hydrochloric acid. Yes. And it and was it, slow. I yeah. liked that. And his, his home, his like flesh was eating away from the acid and eventually his brain. And I was like, that's a really fucking cool zombie kill. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's probably... Random jar in, like, a giant mason jar. <laughs> yeah. Just in this warehouse of other, like, actual needed shit. There was no other jars next to it. It was just a big jar of hydrochloric acid just sitting there. Picked it up and smashed it on his head, and we get to slowly watch that zombie's head, like, disintegrate into its brain, and it killed him. People are, like, passively watching the zombie die. Yeah. They're like, huh. <laughs> and I was just like, that's really fucking cool. And, like, why hadn't I thought about that? But... Yeah, it was really, really neat. And I'm a really cool piece of like, you know, CGI to me. Yeah. Most of the CGI in this that was used was pretty fucking horrible, really. Yeah. But that was actually, I kind of, I kind of dug it. I think, I mean, and God help me, that's kind of it in this movie. I mean. No, my absolute fucking favorite moment in this movie is the deaf Amish guy. (laughs) Samuel. Randomly deaf. He's writing on this whiteboard. (laughs) He doesn't say deaf when he writes down. He writes, I can't hear (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you know like I, like I can't hear you I'm like just say deaf man like what are you doing <laughs> and the, like that whole thing was just like high camp for me like I was I wish the whole movie was like that like he he's such a bro he actually takes a scythe which is hard <laughs> enough to use let alone use on yourself scythes through his head because the zombie's biting him and kills himself and the zombie straight through both heads with the fucking scythe and I was like holy shit that's an awesome zombie moment and that that was a good moment too. I really and I I did like the parts of that. I movie. wanted the deaf Amish guy to live the entire movie. I thought that was like we need to follow this guy around. I want to follow this guy around. He was almost in the RV too, which yeah. is sad. I mean, because that would have made the movie totally different and better. I mean, if if they would have just made it more random like that or campy, like you said, I feel like it would have been a much better movie. Like this movie's very morose. Yeah, right? but it's also problematic because if you think about how the guy talked. Oh, yeah. You know, and then we get to the Asian chick who <laughs> they downloaded a video from or whatever, who was like, um, uh, I'm not going to do the affected voice, but like, um, don't bury dead. First shoot in head. <laughs> they could Come have on, just Romero. had her speaking in her native language. Or yeah. Why is she? Why is she concerned with speaking English and like contacting someone thousands of miles away that can't help her in her own fucking essentially you know, continent. Mm-hmm. Cause she's like, Tokyo is destroyed or whatever. Right. And so, I mean, like you don't have to say that in English. You could just say it in whatever language that you normally speak on your blog. I don't, I don't understand, but yeah, it's pretty racist. Yeah. It was Tokyo. I mean, Japan yeah. is a huge country. I mean, like why the fuck are you? Uh, whatever. Maybe they're trying to do the same thing and like send out pointers and maybe she was doing it in all voice languages she knew, but here I am jumping through hoops to make this work. <laughs> right. I mean, and the, the main takeaway from that was that it's like global, right? You know, I'm but, surprised it wasn't some Hispanic guy from Mexico, like, you know, named Chihuahua. I <laughs> know. Oh, right. Cholo. <laughs> <laughs> Although it would have been cool to see Cholo in this movie and eventually make it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, Romero. What else you got? I got the stupid quotes. That's all I got. 
<laughs> well, I want to hear some of these stupid quotes. Yeah, so obviously the racist Asian one. <laughs> and then uh, Maxwell has a shit ton of them in this movie. Like, they just... And Maxwell being, of course, the uh, professor. The drunken professor. The drunken professor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember like one of the kids dying or whatever. He's like, Oh, he dropped out or something. I'm like, we are not two hours into this fucking zombie apocalypse. And you are already making like flipping little remarks about your students dropping off. I'm like, what movie is this? Cause it's taking itself so fucking seriously. It really does. And then there's moments like that. And I'm just like that. Just take me out of it. It doesn't know itself, you know? And another one from Maxwell, uh, the problem doesn't seem to be that people are waking up dead, but that dead people are waking up. I'm like, yeah, what? No, I remember that. Stop quote. it. Because <laughs> I was rolling my eyes so much at the dialogue in this movie, either between him or Deborah's character. I was just like, why do they keep talking? <laughs> well, someone thought that sounded clever. And then, well, you know who someone is because the sole writing credit on this is fucking Romero. Romero. Yeah. You know, and then, okay. And then he, they're walking up to the, to the nice house, the mansion, right? Mm-hmm. He was like, Oh my gosh, it's like what God would have built if only he had the money. Oh, like, I don't want to Really, you'd have to be there. You have to watch this film to like just see the delivery and the situation and the mismatch and everything that's going there and just how much you want to like, I don't know, press your, compress yourself so much into the back of your couch that you pass out. <laughs> well, I mean, like. <sighs> Romero likes to add humor to things, which is great. I mean, I love some George Romero humor, right? But either you need to like run with it or don't do it at all. Like, yeah, you, you didn't find a happy medium. Well, he has that morose it. ending, right? Like, yeah. You, you keep using that word. And so there's this whole little conversation. You know, they open the door and they're like slaves to the script because it's clearly bright ass fucking daylight outside. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and Maxwell goes, morning approaches. <laughs> he says that. <laughs> Deborah says, things always look better in the morning. And then this is, of course, when they're still trying to get rid of like they're they're the zombies are coming on mass and they're like mm-hmm. having, this is an action moment for the most part, right. Or in between action beats. So they're trying to like get shit together and get in the panic room, I think. Right. Yeah. And Deborah's like, things always look better in the morning. And then Maxwell says, not to me. Mornings bring light. I prefer the darkness. It's easier to hide in the dark. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? And then it continues, you know, professor, I actually get the, the mornings. They show you for what you are instead of what you think you are. What? What is this trying to say? And then, like, everyone has the same thought, but is given to different people to split it up as far as, like, Romero trying to say something. And then finally, Maxwell puts the goddamn exclamation on it with this stupid bullshit. Inelegantly phrased, Mr. Ravello, but accurately put, mornings and mirrors. I despise them. Mornings and mirrors only serve to terrify old men. Where did this come from? I don't even know what that means. I, did. I mean, like, God. Like, another day you woke up and now you have to live through another. Like, how dark is that? Like, and, and why is this as poetic as it is? Oh, okay. Stop now it. it's starting to make sense to me, right? It only scares old men because they look in the mirror and see they're old and every morning's another fucking day. Okay, my God. Yeah, really. In this moment, when they're, like, being attacked by zombies, why? Why I, is that a thought? It's like he had this weird, like, rando, you know, shower thought while he's writing the fucking script. And it made it in. You know, like, the, the, the script is showered with this shit. I mean, I feel like if, if Romero's message in this movie is emerging media, right? So, like, social media or, like, the 24-hour news cycle or things like that that and he's going to write something like this at least try to like 
put it toward your message a little bit. Well, yeah. And then the last one of the last quotes of the movie, I think it's one of the last, it's from Deborah. And she says, the more voices there are, the more spin there is. The truth becomes that much harder to find. In the end, it's all just noise. I mean, that's better. It's kind of the point of the movie a little bit, but no, it's not. It's not trying to say, I don't know what it's trying to say. It's trying to like say that mixed media thing and the emerging media and how it might be used and the the slave to like maybe a 24-hour news cycle that was kind of invented after 9-11 as a post-9-11 kind of commentary. But then at the same time, they're trying to put out truth and to warn people and tell the story and everything else. So it's not really a story about the lack of truth. It's about the story of trying to put truth out there. They don't actually have to deal with any mixed messages. There's only one little thing about that in the background, and it's Romero's cameo. Oh, himself yeah. as the police officer saying, oh, no, those, you know, that was all fake, fake news. We, we, you know, they were only dead until after we shot them. They, they just pronounced them dead before we got here, mm-hmm. you know, and he was trying to lie and, 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 you know, try and keep people calm, I guess, was the lie. And so that's the only thing that's kind of going on in the background. And it's not part of the story and they're not reacting to it. I don't even know if the actors are in, in the scene are actually supposed to have heard it. Versus the audience. So, like, there's not enough story here to say it's about, you know, the signal versus the noise in media, right? There's no story here about that. No, there's really not. Although, I mean, it seems like the dialogue is sort of like pointing in that direction, though. I mean, so like it doesn't make any sense for one character to say that in the end it's all just noise. But she's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and edit his movie and upload it anyway. They made it seem like they're the only people like uploading and and being able to view shit. You know what I mean? Like, so there's no fucking noise there's only signal so there's nothing to say there like it doesn't make sense it doesn't fit something's missing i think a lot is missing (laughs) from this particular movie and its message you know i mean i feel like again i feel like we talked last week about the message of like you know american class systems and the time that that film was made right 2005 for land of the dead and how it feels like today would be a much more eat the rich kind of moment right or even back in the 80s you know when that movie was you know possibly written and this he's talking about like emerging media and social media in a time when it's a little before its time like i would say that today we have a much bigger problem Much with the mature. noise yeah. in social media than we did back in 2007. Yeah. Right? But, you know, and I'd like to say this was like an early, you know, um, what is the canary canary in the coal mine? Yeah. yeah. Canary in the coal mine for that. But it's not really saying that there's some lines there, but that's not part of the story. Like I said, yeah. You know, I almost want to say like, there's more in the story for like some sort of like, Hey, I'm going to film all this cause I'm afraid of missing it, but he's missing his relationship. He's missing his life, you know, uh, more along the lines of the slave, to the 24 hour news cycle or the slave of, of needing to record everything versus actually living your life. Mm-hmm. Maybe those are, are closer messages to the story, but I just don't see the signal versus no- noise or fake news, uh, story that, that I feel like he's trying to bookend it with, but he's, yeah. I feel like he needed to pick a message and stick with it. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, the idea of recording something and living behind a camera and only viewing life through that aspect is a much better message than the things that we've been talking about toward the end of this conversation. Right. Yeah. I think it would be much better choice of his to kind of maybe depart from the rest of the series and have the media and the officials and everyone on TV and radio saying, lying to the public and saying something while they're experiencing something very different. And they're the ones that are trying to get the real truth online. And that would have been a much, much better call. But instead, he's trying to have this consistency to these other movies and, and again, kind of a slave to his legend. 
And so nothing's really coming together. And I mean, like, I don't know. We were talking off mic a little bit about the choices that he made to make this sort of concurrent with Night of the Living Dead. And I'm like, you got to be careful when you fuck with your own timeline, too, because you sort of go back and erase some things that make a movie really, really good by making something concurrent. I don't I don't know. There's there's a lot of problems with this movie and everything that you just said about like the way that you would do it. Right. Or that fixes everything for me. I would rather have seen people like fighting against, you know, media as opposed to trying to create their own documentary. And, and yeah, the social commentary is, is heavy, but it's not tied to anything real in the story. And no. so it's frustrating. And I mean, I think it also doesn't help that he has like the most random group of people doing this. You know what I mean? Like I would have rather seen some adults doing it as opposed to college age kids. Like, I, I don't know. And I, I just show don't tell. And he's, yeah. <laughs> the things know. he's showing us and the things he's telling us are two completely different things. And so it's like, he's, he's kind of mixed up here. And unfortunately, you know, we're getting to the end of the series and I, like I had only seen this movie once before when it came out, I remembered almost none of it. Uh, when I was watching this movie and I was just like, Oh, you know, it's not very good. And it makes me sad because like this, this franchise starts out incredibly promising with its first three movies and the back three. Well, I don't know. I mean, and it's also sad that I just don't have a lot to say about this movie. You know what I mean? And that that's, it's sad because, you know, I, I appreciate Romero and I know this is toward the end of his career. And like, I, I, I don't like like shitting on his movies and I kind of feel the need to go and like pull a really good one to talk about after this. You know what I mean? Like the next time we pick a Romero movie, we got to pick like one of the really, really good ones, but it's not a fun movie, but do you have any fun facts? No. I, in fact, I, I kind of got rid of that one early because I had to mention that he was the guy that fucking was talking about on the news. He was the one that was lying on the news. And that was oh, a his fun cameo. Fact. That, was a, that was his cameo. That so. was your one. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's so sad. Really, there's nothing else. So I'm just like, okay. Wow. All right. Well, it didn't even bear fruit, Robert. <laughs> Usually I can at least have some fun facts when I have a shitty movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Well, let's ask some questions about Diary of the Dead. Sure. Were you scared while watching no. Diary of the Dead? <laughs> no. Yeah, I wasn't really scared either. I mean, like, no. I mean, because I, I've seen a lot of zombie movies and I've seen a lot of Romero movies. And, like, I, you can almost always tell when something's about to happen. And at this point in the game, like, even the things that happen are not shocking. When the most shocking thing is watching a zombie's head disintegrate or whatever, like, you've had a lot of missed opportunity, I feel. Like, and I just, I didn't find it scary. Even when they're being, like, attacked in that Amish barn. I mean, I guess the scythe through the head is kind of shocking, but not enough to, like, make me feel tense. It's not a very tense movie. No. Because half the time I'm just wondering why that lady is still narrating. And the cast is too fucking large. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> we can talk about it now. It's all right. <laughs> it would have been more tense if, if you cared about the characters a little bit more. Yeah. And, and maybe like brought it down to the level of maybe, I don't know, Dawn of the Dead or even Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Where we don't have like 18 years on this fucking bus and maybe just cut it down to four or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, and they had a very large group to start with. Two of them split off, but the rest of them stick around. You're right. I mean, the cast is too large. And we don't get enough time to get to know or like any of these characters. Much less the guy that's holding the camera the whole time. We don't even see his face until about halfway through. Right. And even then, like, it's someone filming him with a camera in front of his face. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's not... 
the characters aren't likable. They're not fleshed out and there's too many of them. So when they start to finally die, you know, like toward the end of the movie, like I'm actively ready for them to do it. Oh yeah. You know, I'm like, just kill them all off one by one. Yeah. So, okay. Well, out of five stars, what would you rate diary of the dead? I gave it a one star and then I saw the Amish part and nothing was good really before or after that. And so I had to give it a half star higher because the Amish part was just so great. You love that Amish bro so much. You gave it half a yes. star more. It's 1.5 <laughs> stars for me, which is very low for me. So after, after talking about land of the dead and giving that two and a half stars and watching this one, it's a little bit more in line with what I like in a zombie movie like morose. And I keep using that word a lot, but I mean, I like my zombie movies to be downers. And so like afterward I was like, okay, I enjoyed that more than land of the dead. So I gave it three stars. And then I kept thinking about it in the days after watching it. And I was just like, no, that is being far, far too generous with this movie. (laughs) And I, was thinking about the awful narration and just how boring parts of it were. And I was just like, you know what? Two stars. Yeah. It's a two star movie. It's interesting to use the word morose rather than like melancholy, you know, or dark or anything like that. Cause it wasn't really dark and it certainly wasn't melancholy. No, but it was morose. <laughs> it was <laughs> ill tempered and negative. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that pretty much sums up diary of the dead. There was no actual diary. Oh, I guess there was right. I mean, it's the like video a video diary. Well, back in my school, we called them video scrapbooks, not diaries. <laughs> I would just rather have watched a movie about someone like writing, Dear Diary, I got a random bite today. And then just having the fucking diary get crazier and crazier as time <laughs> went on. Come on, that's a good movie. <laughs> All right. But finally, and in this particular deep dive, most importantly, who's the hottest guy in Diary of the Dead? I I can't say a single one. I I can't. I would say the maybe, character of Tony, played maybe, by Sean Roberts. Maybe the maybe oh that the his um his like rival, the douchebag rival. Yeah, and the one yeah. that she's like cuddling up to later on. Yeah, <laughs> that like, was a little weird. I, well, my God, he's filming it. He's like watching them through a camera, sort of sleep, yeah, cuddled like, up together I'll go with you, and the guy doesn't say anything. Yeah. He's like, I'll, I'll go in there. I'll spend some time with you. And he's like, okay, well we're going to go, I guess. He's a terrible boyfriend. Yeah. But that other guy was kind of hot. Yeah. He was pretty hot. So, I mean, I'd cuddle up with him, but <clears throat> that's it. Slim Pickens in this movie. I, I guess, guess the, the stumbler up would be the, the mummy guy or Gordo, like the, the Southern actress's boyfriend. Like he was, Kind of cute, but he was in it for like two seconds. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We know all their names. They're just not hot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Diary of the Dead. Uh, Hopefully we didn't shit all over a movie that you love. But we want to know what you think about our conversation and this movie. If you love it, you can tell us on social media at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Call us and we'll be morose. Mm. Shoot me in the face. <laughs> we'll be morose so when you call we'll just we'll be horny but also a little cranky. 
that pretty much sums up my daily mood. <laughs> you start saying that. How are you today? Horny and cranky. <laughs> Turn my cranky. <laughs> <laughs> and that also wraps up all of our content on the main feed, but we are finishing up this franchise over on Patreon with Survival of the Dead. God, why? <laughs> because we're completionists. So, if you're interested in hearing that conversation and listening to all of our other bonus episodes, head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers and join the family over there. Yes, please slash the film flamers. <laughs> <laughs> right across our goddamn wrists. <laughs> we're almost done. But, yes, we are almost done because next month we're bringing you Drop Fucking Dead Gorgeous. That's right, and Death Becomes Her. We are so excited. We're taking all this moroseness and we're turning it into horror comedy month, so... Stay tuned. That's right. Well, Chris, you want to go off and see if we can survive this franchise? Not really. But we'll have some sweet dreams. Almost done. Romero, why? Why you do this to me, Romero? <laughs> why you do this to me, Romero? <laughs> <laughs> oh.